We are talking about decision-making. It is like squinting into the fog. The uncertainty of the future is always what makes decision-making so fearful and difficult and uh, seemingly so full of risk. And uh, as we approach this subject, as we started this a couple of weeks ago, we said there's a big decision that we need to get right before we can get any other decision right. And it is the decision that Proverbs as a whole calls us to make. Proverbs 1.7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, and fools despise wisdom and instruction. The roads go like this in the book of Proverbs. You have to choose. You have to make a decision which way are you going to go toward the fear of the Lord, making your decisions and living your life with a sense that he is God, he is king, that he is everything we sang about over the last number of minutes. You can choose and decide to go that route, or you can choose to despise all of the things of the scriptures, the things of Proverbs, the things of redemption, the things Christ has done for us, and you can go that route. Proverbs calls us to make your decision and get this one right. Because this decision of whether to fear the Lord and whether to follow him is the one that really determines all of the other decisions in your life. And we're unpacking that, uh, that concept over these weeks. The second thing that we saw was that the book of Proverbs challenges us to take responsibility for the decisions we've made. Uh, we saw a proverb last week that uh, when a fool's way comes to ruin, his heart rages against the Lord. There's something in us when disaster strikes that we don't want to take responsibilities for the, deci the decisions we made that got us to that spot. We want to shift the blame off onto the Lord as if it's somehow his fault that ruin has come to us instead of being to his praise and glory that he has preserved us in our decisions this far. So this is a very different approach to decision-making in Proverbs. It is saying get the first decision right, the big decision, and then take responsibility for the decisions you've already made and uh, let's, let's not blame God for the things that happen to us. There are many things that happen to us that are a result of decisions that we have made. I do want to emphasize that what we said last week, not every bad thing that happens to us is a result of some folly on our part. Uh, far from it. This is a fallen world. But nevertheless, Proverbs is challenging us. It is saying, you have things under your control, and you have decisions to make that are your responsibility, and Proverbs is calling us to make those decisions. What we're going to see this morning is a way to handle the risks of the future. When we squint into that fog, wondering what's down the road, what does the future hold? How, what, what's a step that we can take toward making godly decisions in the midst of that lack of clarity, that confusion, that uncertainty, that fear, that risk? How do we take that first step? Often, we look for signs in life. We look for some way 
some direction from God, go this way, go that way, take this job, take this opportunity, ignore that, don't listen to this person, don't take that opportunity. You know, we, we want God to kind of give us direction over every decision we make, and one of the things that we are being challenged by in this series is that we have often constructed our whole spirituality our whole way of relating to God to give him all of the decisions that he is actually handing to us. And we're saying, God, make my decisions for me. Tell me what to do. Tell me which way to go, and I'll just go there. I don't want to make these decisions. I'm not capable of making these decisions. I can't do this, so you just do it. This is the kind of let go and let God approach to life. And I have, in talking with many of you, um, been confirmed in my suspicion that a lot of the teaching about decision-making and the will of God and getting leading from the Lord has actually become a kind of mystical game and no one knows how to play it. And all the people who think they know how to play it, they look and sound spiritual, but what actually do they do when they make decisions and receive leading from the Lord? How does that work? Uh, we're, we're really challenging some ways to think about decision-making here by saying that God has given us real choices. And he has called us to make those choices. He is training us to be decision makers. He is not training us to be good, passive, limp puppets. He is not training us to be robots where God pushes the button, gives the divine input, and we just automatically spin off and do what he says. That is not what God has called us to do and to be. He is, he is raising us up to be what Proverbs describes, wise. And that wise person looks at situations, looks at decisions, and says, God will help me with my decision right here and right now. And I'm going to make this decision looking to God for his training, for his help, for his wisdom, but this is my decision. So let's continue talking about this. A lot of times, life falls in this category of Proverbs 14:12. There is a way that seems right. All the signs point in the same direction. Everything that we're looking at is telling us that's the right way to go. Everyone around us agrees. And all the Christian books agree. And all the sermon podcasts, they all say the same thing. And I've prayed about it and I feel really good about this. It seems right. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. What Proverbs is saying here in this verse is, 
you can get it wrong big time. And people who want to follow the Lord do get it wrong big time, lots of times. And so what do we do with this? What do we do with these risks? What we're going to see this morning is that there are false sources of security in decision-making, false indicators, sensors that start blinking in our engine and the sensors are off. You ever had your engine light go on for no reason? This is what this is talking about. That there are all of these signs in our life that we want to follow, we want to, to uh, train ourselves to read and make decisions by, and Proverbs says, yeah, well, they fail. A lot of times things seem right, but in the end, they lead to death. What do we do with this uncertainty? What do we do with this risk? We're going to look at the false sources of security in these verses, and then we're going to look at the true reasons that God calls us to make decisions by. We're going to make a distinction between signs and reasons for making decisions. And we're going to see both of those, the false things that we take confidence in and the true solid reasons we should have for making decisions. And then we're going to give some, I hope, gospel directions for dealing with this issue. So let's begin with signs. Let's just uh, read a little bit here. Beginning at verse 12, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. Even in laughter, the heart may ache, and the end of joy may be grief. The backslider in heart will be filled with the fruit of his ways, and a good man will be filled with the fruit of his ways. The simple believes everything. But the prudent gives thought to his steps. One who is wise is cautious and turns away from evil, but a fool is reckless and careless. A man of quick temper acts foolishly, and a man of evil devices is hated. The simple inherit folly, but the prudent are crowned with knowledge. Broadly speaking, what Solomon is saying here by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is the simple look at the simple way it seems right to them. They charge on ahead. They don't examine it. They don't criticize their path in front of them. They don't do any of these things. They simply charge ahead recklessly on the way that seems right. But the prudent step back. The prudent examine their way, and they receive knowledge. So uh, let's look at this. Three signs of false confidence. Let's think about this word, signs. Have you ever wanted a sign from God? I have. Just, you know, neon would help few arrows pointing the direction. What do you want me to do here? How do you want me to handle this situation? Um, and so it's worth asking this question, what are we really wanting? 
from God when we want signs. We talked last week about Gideon with the sign of the fleece and how we keep imitating what is actually a very poor example. An example of a man who doesn't believe God and keeps asking God for more signs to repeat what God has already said. And so sometimes we're just asking God, really, in our heart of hearts, we're asking God to tell us to do something other than what he clearly wants us to do, which was the case with Gideon. But sometimes we're, we're looking for this, this agreement between our circumstances and our feelings. We want to feel solid, secure, positive about the decisions that we make. So we're looking at our circumstances and we're saying, oh, I don't feel so great about going that direction and I feel really bad about heading this way. But, you know, this way seems okay. It feels right. This is the part in the movie where the, the uh, character is always struggling and one of their friends or some mentor says this grand, wonderful line that is supposed to solve all the problems. Just follow your heart. Thank you. What are we saying there? We're looking for signs that we feel reassured about the decisions we make. Here are three bad signs. Signs that we often make decisions based on, but they're not solid. They're no good. Verse 13, even in laughter the heart may ache and the end of joy may be grief. Pleasure. Our whole society teaches us to make decisions based on signs directing us to pleasure. When we see something and we say, oh, that smells good, that's going to taste good, that's going to be the right, I love that crowd, I love that lifestyle, I, that's the kind of thing that, that resonates with me, we say. So what's the idea here? If it's pleasurable, it must be beneficial. And we all know intellectually that that's not right. It's not necessarily true. This proverb is saying, even while you're laughing, your heart can ache. Robin Williams and pretty much every other comedian you've ever heard I mean, this is almost a cliche. The, the, the clown who is crying inside. Uh, even while we're enjoying something on the outside, while we're living it up, our hearts can be dying on the inside. Proverbs is saying there's a way that seems right. If you just pursue that pleasure that you want, that's calling to you, if you just pursue that, everything's going to be fine. You're going to benefit from it. But Proverbs says, wait, there's a way that seems right, but in the end it leads to death. Shouldn't you ask, what are the costs of that pleasure? And we're not just talking about financially, although we should. What are the costs of that pleasure to you relationally, spiritually? What is it going to cost you to engage in that kind of thing? So uh, Bridget and I faced a decision many, many years ago now 
uh, between two churches. I was looking for uh, a church and um, we had applications out and two of them came back and, uh, and one committees wanted to talk to me and so we went down to uh, a place in Southern California near Santa Barbara called Solvang. Great place. I'll tell you what, all the signs were pointing to Solvang. I can see myself here. This is nice. These people are nice. I mean, they're relaxed. They're, this, is a, this is a nice community. This is a great place. Why? Because it looked like a pleasurable place to live. So that was uh, one thing. And then uh, another place was a, a very different uh, kind of town. It was a poor town. It was a small town. Not much going through the, that town. Not much apparently happening there. And, uh, you know, just didn't have the same thing to offer as Santa Barbara. So, okay. Small town in the valley or Santa Barbara? Hmm. Which way do the signs point? What am I responding to internally? Well, it's Santa Barbara, hands down. Period. End of story. There is a way that seems right. In the end, it leads to death. Um, second sign that we take confidence in, and we shouldn't, is ease. Here are uh, several Proverbs back-to-back about things that are easy. The backslider, verse 14, in heart will be filled with the fruit of his ways. What's the backslider here? This is the person who starts down the road and says, okay, I'm, I'm headed in this direction. I've got my goals set. My bags are packed. I'm ready for this. I got this. And you charge down that road and then you realize, wait a minute, this is, this is hard. It's hot here. And that sun is bearing down on me, and I, I kind of don't like that. And this is laborious. There are big hills on this road. There are big barriers. There aren't a lot of people on this road. I want to go somewhere where I'm encouraged. I want to go somewhere where the people are positive. But on this road, everything's hard, hot, and hilly. So I got three H's in there. Proves I'm a good preacher. <laughs> so we look at that road, and what do we do? We say, I think I'm heading back. The other. I made a mistake here. This couldn't be the right road. Could it? Because it's too hard. The backslider is the person who turns around literally and returns the way he came. Backslider in, his, in heart will be filled with the fruit of his ways. He wants ease, so everything he does is determined by whether it's hard to do or not. And if it's hard to do, and he gets frustrated, he just stops. Does he finish? Does he pursue a job all the way to the end? Does, does he have the stick to to endure pain and delay gratification and all of those things? No, nope. the backslider says, no, this is too hard, I'm going back. Another form of ease 
is simplicity. Verse 15, the simple believes everything. Well, uh, it's easier to believe what you hear when it sounds kind of plausible. It's easier to work through a decision when everybody around you agrees it's easier to work through life's problems when there just seem to be very simple answers. The simple believe everything. If it's plausible on its face, they will believe it. Why? Because it's easy. Anybody who comes along and says, it's simply more complicated than you're trying to make it. It just is. You gotta do more work on this. You actually don't know what you're jumping into here. You don't know what uh, the future is going to hold on this issue. You, you think you, you're taking too many things for granted because it just looks plausible enough. Easy. When we are looking for the sign that the way is easy or the understanding is easy, it's simple, we're making a mistake. Now, I, I look at the way Christians oftentimes make decisions, and what it comes down to is this. Well, God opened the door. Think about that. Does God open every door for us? I will just tell you flatly, God has opened like of his own intervention in a very clear way. God has opened maybe one or two doors. The rest of them, I mean all of them, it was a process of saying, this door is closed. I'm trying this and I'm trying that. This door is still closed. God said, go through that door. And it's stuck it's squeaky, it's not opening very easily. I open it, and then it swings right back shut again. And it's frustrating. It's hard. We want God to make the decisions, and we want him to show us the right decisions by making them easy. We just get a blaze of power done. So let me just say flatly this morning, as your pastor, if you're stuck spiritually in the Christian life, there's a reason. You want it to be easy. You want God to blaze the trail for you. You, you want the signs all to point in the same direction. And in that, you are saying, God, it's too hard. I don't like it being this hard. And God is saying, of course it's hard. This is a fallen world. Remember that? Humanity sinned and the entire world fell under the curse of death and decay. Yeah, it's hard. There is nothing else that's going to come at us but what is hard. So what he is saying to us is, I will walk with you through what is hard. So, you know, Bridget and I uh, were sitting in a hotel room in Solvang, California, with a decision to make. One way looked kind of easy. 
looked like this is the right way to go. This is the smart way to go. The other way looked hard in every way. And so we had a decision to make. Are we going to be the people who take the hard road? Or are we going to be the people who take the easy road? Is that our criterion? Is that the sign we're looking for to make this decision? Um, verse 16. One who is wise is cautious and turns away from evil, but a fool is reckless and careless. The fool just blazes right on by because it's easy. You know, it, it's hard work to stop and examine your way and examine what's happening around you and to really think through what your actual circumstances are. It's easy to say, well, God told me, so I'm just going to blaze right through here and to be reckless in, in that sense. So one of the signs we look for is pleasure. Another sign we look for is ease. And Solomon is coming right back at us and saying, there's a way that seems right to a man. According to those signs, it looks for all the world like that's the way you need to go. But in the end, it leads to death. There's a third sign here. It's in verse 17. A man of quick temper acts foolishly. That shouldn't be a big headline, but it really is. I have, have learned through hard experience not to make decisions out of anger. Anger makes everything real clear. The other guy is wrong, I am right. It's simple. It's easy. The road ahead is straight. And it's straight toward payback. That's what anger does. It, it takes a complicated problem where there are many factors in play and strips it down to one simple idea. If this is sounding like political propaganda to you, there's a reason why negative ads are so powerful because they make you angry. They make everything seem really, really simple. This is the obvious choice for you. And so, uh, here again, we want our decisions to be made for us by this kind of agreement between the way we feel inside and the circumstances outside of us. And we want the leading of God to look like this. We want God to take our feelings and make them match our circumstances or to take our circumstances and make them match what we want. So that when, then we can say, God did all of this and he made everything just right for me and it was, it was perfect, it was exactly what I was looking for and then you talk to them five years later. Is that really the way it should go? And very often you find that people who make decisions based on this kind of signpost reading looking at your circumstances and trying to say, God's sending me this way and God's sending me this way based on whether the door or the window is closed or open. You're going to find somebody who is confused, fearful, and stuck. And basically, Proverbs is saying, 
that comes from a superficial look at the decisions you make. So if it's not signs, and, and let me just pause here. I may have just described your whole method of making decisions. And I may appear to be kind of heartlessly coming at you about this. I, I honestly don't mean to do that. Um, what I am saying to you is, wanting to follow God's leading is a marvelous thing. Let's talk about how God's leading actually comes into our lives. Because I know that once you see how his leading actually comes into our lives, you'll follow it because that's what you want. So that's the spirit in which I'm bringing this. I want you to shift your decision-making from signs to reasons. Reasons are different from signs. A sign is just telling you, go here now. A sign doesn't necessarily apply later on in all situations. I had somebody tell me that um, she and her husband, this was many, many years ago, they, they bought a house because uh, uh, the, uh, she, she came in and all of the paint on the walls matched her furniture that she already had. And this was a sign that the Lord had provided. And, I mean, it's, it's kind of funny, and it's, it's very easy to, on the outside of that to, to look at things like that and say, look, that's, that is no way to buy a, a house. Just paint it. If, if, there should be a better reason to buy a house than the sheer coincidence that it was all mauve or whatever, and there your couches have... Uh, mauve in them, and I know, I know the reply. There are no coincidences with God. Yes, there are. Yes, there are. There are dumb decisions. Now, I'm not saying that was a dumb decision, but I'm just saying. Don't we need reasons? What is a reason? A reason is not founded on a coincidence of two things that we were hopefully looking for. That's not a reason. A reason is a demand from God. A reason says, always, in all circumstances, this is good and right. Do it. That's a reason. Now, I also know what you're thinking here. That's legalism. We're not supposed to be rule followers. We're just supposed to trust God. Listen, the book of Proverbs is not telling you to follow rules. The book of Proverbs is presenting you with decisions and saying you're going to have good reasons for making these decisions or not. If you want to be wise, prudent, and godly, you need reasons You've got to think this through, and, and you, you've got to have some priorities and some criteria that are actually useful for making this decision. So, as I said, Bridget and I were sitting in Solvang, 
asking ourselves, well, which, at this point, which church do we think we should follow the Lord to? Because all the signs are pointing in this one direction, and there are no signs pointing in the other direction. But we just kind of wonder, what does the Lord want? What are the reasons we should make this choice? Here's um, a couple of observations about the kinds of reasons God is looking for in the book of Proverbs. Back up to um, verse 14. We already looked at the first half of this verse. We skipped the second half. The backslider in heart will be filled with the fruit of his ways. Okay, so that's not good. He started out on a road, it got too hard, so he turned around and went back. Contrasted with that, a good man will be filled with the fruit of his ways. That's really interesting. That backsliding would be contrasted with goodness. Have you ever had a friend turn their back on you when things got tough and they weren't there for you? You ever had that happen? Then you understand why this contrast is there. Because goodness comes in when it's tough, when it's really hard. Goodness comes in and says, we're going to keep going. This is the right road. We know why we made this decision. So we're going to keep going courageously and steadfastly, and we're going to make it to the other end of this road. If you have been missing that goodness in your life, you know why this contrast is here. Because at the end of the day, your life is either going to be filled with people who are making basically pragmatic decisions about whether it's easy to be your friend, whether it's good for them, pleasurable for them to be in your corner, or whether they're really going to tough it out with you through some hard stuff. And if they are, have been the people who tough it out with you through the hard stuff, then you're saying, I know what that goodness is. You can't replace that kind of goodness. It is really good. That kind of faithfulness and steadfastness. What are we talking about here? Right and wrong. Fidelity. Truth. That's what we're talking about. You want someone in your life who makes decisions based on whether things are right or wrong. And that's what Proverbs is saying. Forget the signs. Signs are worthless. If I can just be that blunt with you. Your feelings, your emotions, what you think, what impression you get at a certain time of day, worthless. It's only a bit of information and it's mostly information about you, not information about your situation and the decision you're facing. God is saying, I have a way, a moral way, that my universe works. And I want you to make decisions in faith 
according to the right and wrong categories that I have given you. So we all get frustrated with people who lie when it's convenient for them to lie. We get very angry at, at that. It costs us. Um, we get angry at people who will uh, engage in shady financial dealings because they can. They can get away with it. We get very angry with that because it's costly. We get very angry with people um, who do not keep promises. They tell us they're going to do something, then they, they just blow out on us. They don't keep those promises. Why do we do that? Because God designed his universe to work with his categories of right and wrong, truth, fidelity, goodness. These are reasons to make decisions. Now, you say, how does this apply to your decision, Pastor, when you, you had to make a decision which church you were really going to pursue and which you were going to let go? Here's how it worked out. Um, we began to look closely at the way the community and the church was living in Solvang. We began to look at the cars in the driveway, the number of cars in the driveway, who was driving the cars, and we realized something. Those are teenagers driving beamers. That's interesting. It's not right, wrong, or indifferent, but it's interesting. And then we began to talk to people and realize every single one of these households is a two-income household. Both the husband and the wife work. So financially, you can kind of see how you could afford to live in that house and how you could afford to do these things for your kids because you've got two incomes and you can fund it. Now, none of that is wrong. None of it. But Bridget and I had made a decision. We're going to be a single-income couple. She's not going to be out working. Uh, we're, we're going to be... We're going to get to the place where when we have kids, we had no children at that time, we want them to be in a stable environment where Bridget is at home and our life is basically simple. We're not spread out all over the place. We're not constantly chasing the almighty dollar. We're going to keep our lifestyle at a certain level so that our kids will have relationships at home. And that was a decision that we made, and, and that was a right decision to make. So now we get into Southern California and we're faced with the decision, you could go to this church with an income that is radically insufficient to live in that community, requiring you to have your wife work full time just to get by because it's a wealthy community and everybody's at this standard of living. You can't even get a house in the community. You can't get an apartment in the community for less than this amount. So we looked at that and we looked at some of the history of that church 
and made a determination that one reason that the, that the Lord is not calling us to this place is we would have to go back on a decision we've already made and it was the right decision. It's a decision that sets us up right for the future with children. And by the way, it was the right decision. And so in order to do this, I would have to say to my wife, well, honey, I know... I know we said that we would live this way, but man, it's a nice community. It's a nice place to live. It's a good, thriving church. Be good for the old resume to get on at that church. So maybe let's just do two incomes. See what I've done there? I have broken my word because we made a decision together and in order to take this step, we really would have to unmake that decision. That's a lie. The next category of reasons that um, are to form the basis for our decisions our prudence, whoops, pushed the button too many times there. So prudence is, is all over this. Look at verse 15. Again, we looked at the first line. We didn't look at the second. The simple believes everything. But the prudent gives thought to his steps. The prudent steps back from what everybody is saying and says, I wonder if it's really as it seems to be and examines the ground and looks closely at the real facts of the matter. That's what the, the prudent person does. The prudent person is not cynical or suspicious. The prudent person is just saying, you know, everybody agrees on this, but I'm going to do some checking here because I really wonder about this. Uh, look at verse 18. The simple inherit folly. Interesting choice of words there. This is saying the simple have a legacy coming to them. That's what an inheritance is. A legacy from the past. And as good members of the household of the simple, they inherit that legacy. And that legacy is folly. Same thing, just keeps happening over and over and over again. Poor financial decisions, poor moral decisions, compromised integrity, again and again and again. Generation after generation after generation. The simple inherit folly. But the prudent are crowned with what? Knowledge. Where does knowledge come from? The fear of the Lord. We're right back to Proverbs 1.7. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The prudent are crowned with it. Why? Because the prudent just don't accept what appears to be on the surface. They look underneath. Part of what we were doing in examining these uh, two situations was just asking, you know, 
what really has the better foundation. So I began looking into this church, listening closely to what the committee was saying, how they described previous pastors, and you discover very quickly they've blown through about three young pastors in quick succession. And the story's the same. It's always the, well, the pastor wasn't very good at this, and he wasn't very... That's kind of interesting, isn't it? Um, we thought it was. And I began looking at some of the conduct of people in meetings. And basically, in the meetings, there was really only one guy who mattered. Everybody else pretty much deferred to him. And we, we began to piece all of these things together, looking for good, solid reasons to base a decision on. And we came to the conclusion, yeah, Solvang looks good. It's nice and shiny. And you can't beat the weather. But even in laughter, the heart can ache. And I think I see some heartache in our future if we attempt to make this work. So with all of the signs pointing in one direction, we went the other direction and had 12 years of fruitful ministry. And it was hard. And all of the things that we saw that were going to be hard at the beginning of it were hard. But we knew what they were. And we just we said, the Lord led us to this decision. And he had. Not by signs. He led us by reasons. Our God is not a hocus-pocus God. Our God has good reasons for the things that he does. He has reasons for the things he commands us to do. And he, he has shared those reasons with us. He has brought us into his wisdom, among other ways, through the book of Proverbs. And uh, what I hope to get across to us this morning and in this series is that decision-making, as everything in the book of Proverbs is, is really about the condition of our hearts toward God. Do we fear Him or not? And so let's get some direction about this. Two questions. I want you to spend some time thinking about what is it that you are avoiding or pursuing? What goal are you chasing? What fate are you trying to avoid? What is that thing or that lifestyle or that um, position in life, that job? What is that thing? And I ask that question because most of what we're uncertain about is whether we will get what we want. Will the outcome match what we desire? And we're afraid to make decisions because we kind of suspect that we're chasing outcomes that won't happen. And sometimes we're right. And so we avoid making decisions, we put decisions off, or we make decisions impulsively and recklessly, trying to force the issue and make outcomes happen that we want. 
And as we do all of this, Proverbs comes back at us and says, what about those outcomes? Are they really that important? What are you avoiding or pursuing? What are you running away from and what are you chasing? So spend some time reflecting on that question and then ask this question. What actions are you willing to take in faith in the decisions that you make? Faith is saying, I don't know what the outcomes are going to be. I don't know if the outcomes are going to be what I desire them to be. But I do know that God is good no matter what the outcome is. I do know that he has told me reasons why certain things are right and other things are wrong. I do know that he, in Jesus Christ, redeemed me out of all of my wrong decisions. All of them. He paid the price for all of that. I know that. So I know that God is good. God is faithful. He has real reasons for the decisions he has called me to make. He wants me to examine the ground in front of me. So I'm going to take the outcomes that I want or the outcomes that I fear. I'm going to step back from those. I'm going to leave those in God's hands and I'm going to decide to do what he calls right and to leave behind what he calls wrong. And I'm going to do it not because I'm afraid of breaking rules, but because he is God, he is good, and he knows what is good for me. I'm going to trust him. And if the outcomes turn out differently from what I want, I know I can trust him for that too. This is decision-making in the will of God. You can put it differently. God has already told us everything that he expects of us and wants us to do. He has not told us the future. And very rarely does he ever pull back that veil and show us, here's exactly what's going to happen and how it's going to go down. What does that tell us? Trust God with the future. Believe him taking action in faith based on what he calls right and what he calls wrong. If we do this, we are making decisions in the leading and by the power of the Holy Spirit because this is where the Holy Spirit wants us to go. Go toward what is good. Go toward what is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, self-control. Go toward it. Go toward it. Don't leave those things. Don't backslide and return from those things simply because they are hard. Go toward those things. And God will take care of these outcomes. Do you believe this? Still working on that, huh? God is good in all outcomes at all times. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, you're training us as decision makers and you're calling us to make decisions in your wisdom, to do it actively, 
not by default. You don't want puppets. You want worshipers who have freely decided to trust you. And so we call upon your name right now. I pray that if there's someone here confessing to you their sins, saying, Lord, you know what I did. I got this wrong. You call it wrong. I knew that. I did it anyway. As that person calls out to you, maybe for the first time, and asks you for forgiveness and cleansing and training, asks for the leading of the Holy Spirit, and prays for salvation from their sins in Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that you would meet those needs right here and right now. And Lord, for others who may be looking at a pattern of decision-making and saying, somehow I need to steer my life differently. I need to learn how to do this. We pray you would shed light on that decision. And for those who are called right here in this room to be wise trainers and helpers of other people's decision-making, to walk along with them through these things, give us the faithfulness, the grace, kindness, patience to walk with people, our brothers and sisters, through the tough things that they face. And in doing all of these things, we are deciding to follow you. And we ask you to do it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Let me look and see if we have any questions here. Looks like I do have one. Uh, I've got maybe a couple more here. So uh, if you need to slip out right now is a good time to do that. We'll take a few minutes here for dialogue. Um, walk through it, not around it. Um, with, the, with God who is holding our hands, um, I've, not been, I've been not taking action, putting the outcome in someone else's hands. Outcome seems to be dead, but I'm still trying to resurrect it. Um, this is right where we're talking about, where there, there's this decision, an outcome that we're pursuing or avoiding, and we're, we're just we're trying to get someone else to make a decision to make this outcome happen. Um, whatever that is, uh, whatever that hope is, uh, this person is saying, I, I see now I need to walk through this with God, not walk around it. And, and that is a phenomenal um, uh, blast of truth there to say, this is mine. I need to make this decision. God's, God's going to walk with me through this tough thing. And uh, that's right where... Uh, we need to be. And it's a good way to state the principle here. Uh, God isn't going to walk us around trouble. He's going to walk us through it. Um, okay, someone is asking me, uh, I believe in all seriousness, McDonald's or Burger King. Um, I'm going to fill in the blank here and say this is about matters of 
indifference. What do you do with that as a Christian? I've heard of people seeking the Lord's leading about breakfast cereals in the, in the grocery aisle. You know, what should, we, what, should, what should I do, Lord? Is it Fruit Loops? No. Is it Grape Nuts? Yes. I don't, I don't know how that works. I, I think that's where this, this question is coming from. I hope what you take away from this is there are matters of preference and indifference. There are things that could go one way or the other. Proverbs is saying, it's your decision. Just make your decision. Don't shift it off on God whether to buy grape nuts or to go to McDonald's. You don't have to ask God about that. In, in a sense, there, there's this, there's this take-the-bull-by-the-horns quality that Proverbs is calling us to take on. And, and it's, it's almost as if God, through Proverbs, is saying what he said to one of the reforming kings in Israel's history. My hand is with you. I am for you, not against you. Go do whatever your hand finds to do. If you think this needs to be done, then do it with all your might. I'm with you. And what Proverbs is saying to us is, um, you are equipped in Christ, in the wisdom of God, in Proverbs chapter 8, to take these decisions and make them. You're ready to go. Don't duck them. Don't shift them off on God and play the hocus-pocus game. It sounds very pious, but it doesn't work. And uh, our, our prayers should be uh, devoted to matters of, of consequence and uh, these, these other matters we should just kind of go through life and learn and make our decisions. This is a whole lot simpler uh, than I think a lot of Christian books try to make it. Um, I hope I did okay on that question, but you didn't give me a lot to go on there. McDonald's or Burger King, um, I'm not going to make a recommendation on that. It's up to you. Uh, when I'm hoping for something to happen or working towards it and the door is shut, if I have not been praying about it, I am disturbed in my spirit. If I have been praying, I experience great peace, even in disappointment, a sign I should always pray for right decisions. Um, I would interpret that experience slightly differently. Um, I think it's absolutely right when we're praying towards something and the answer is no. Then if we're praying about that thing, we can take no. We should be able to take no from God. Not letting you through here. This is done for this period of life. Or this, this road is not the road I want you on. Paul had to hear that from God. Jesus had to hear that from his Father. We hear that from him. And when we're in prayer, we can accept that. And that's really the reason to pray. And what, what I'm going for here is we ought always to pray because prayer is good for us. It is right to trust God. He deserves it. He is worthy of it. Those are reasons to pray. Um, so, uh, not disagreeing with this, but in, 
in the lingo that I'm wanting you to adopt, congregation, I'm wanting you to stop talking hocus-pocus with each other. Start talking reasons. Seek God for his reasons. He is open. He is not closed. And the fog that we think is out there doesn't shroud him. He sees through it. So pursue God, pursue him practically. And um, I think uh, a, a change of approach here would be beneficial. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we ask you to be powerfully at work in our hearts. We have another week ahead of us, and that week is in fog. We can't see what it holds. But you have called us to make decisions nevertheless. And so we look to you, give us wisdom and prudence. And at the end of this week, we will look back over it, having prayed about all of the matters you have brought to us, even things of apparent insignificance. We have prayed about all of them. We will look back over the week and, said, and say, the Lord led us all the way. And we will look back on your grace to help us do what is good and what is right, to lead us toward the fruit of the Spirit. We will look back on all of that and we will give you glory because in depending upon you, we will see your hand at work in our lives. We lift all these things up to you in the name of our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. And God's people said, Amen.